Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. We are going to continue discussing Daniel's 70th week. And again, make sure uh, if you have any questions, leave them in the comments or email them to me at the Spirit of Prophecy 1611 at gmail.com. And Friday, I intend to do a live show just answering questions, objections that people might have to this subject. Whenever you challenge people on Daniel's 70th week, it typically makes them a little crazy because, again, you get this wrong, it changes a lot of stuff. And tomorrow, we're probably going to talk about some of the things that it does affect and change because people do. Whenever you first see the truth, it's pretty clear that... um that the he is in fact the Messiah, that this is something that was about Jerusalem. This is not about something in the future, but often what people kind of panic when they realize that because they realize so much of their eschatology is centered around Daniel's 70th week and then processing what all that's going to change. uh, It can be kind of overwhelming. And the truth is, You know, it doesn't matter what it changes. You know, truth is truth, and we ought to be willing to fix anything we get wrong when we're shown that we are wrong. But ultimately, when it comes to what I've believed for a long time about end times, I think it strengthens it. And truth is always going to strengthen other truth. And so uh, error and and when it whenever you can remove error in any area, it's going to strengthen your position as a whole. And I think it's no exception when it comes to this subject. So, uh, what we're going to do today? Yesterday we went through Daniel one or nine one through twenty three, and basically looked at the context, what all was going on. People often ignore that and they just go right to verse twenty four. And then just kind of run with that. And if you do that, you're going to make a lot of mistakes because you're going to kind of miss the point, the theme, everything that's been going on. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to go through these last four verses and show how these things were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has already done these things. The 70th week, it happened. It happened. And again, you know, Those of you who want to just panic, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. I don't have a big problem with that, okay? But we have to understand that if this was fulfilled, that the things that were fulfilled don't need to happen again. And and at the same time, too, you can't just assume dual fulfillment unless we have some other place in the Bible that shows us something similar is going to happen again. And so... Let's go through this and uh, line by line, and I think it will be very helpful to you. So, verse 24 says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So, remember, the angel is speaking to Daniel, who has been praying and confessing the sins of his people And Daniel understands we are under God's judgment because we have sinned and that there is more judgment coming. He's praying for the judgment, God, to show mercy. But the angel is telling them, no, these 70 weeks are determined. Nothing is going to change these things. Daniel, you've been punished, but God's not done punishing you. 
He's going to bring you back to the land. You're going to see some good things, but judgment is still upon you. This is upon Jerusalem. Okay. Now to read this and apply it to America or some other country is kind of ridiculous because we didn't violate the Sabbath weeks and all those things. Israel did that. So 70 weeks return upon thy people and thy holy city. I think it's interesting how he says that because in Matthew 23, 37, after the Jews again reject Christ at his coming, at his triumphal entry, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not behold your house is left unto you desolate. He's no longer calling it my house like he had done before when he said, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. You know, he's calling it their house. You know why? Because God was departing from that temple. And, and so I think that's interesting how Jesus said that your house is left unto you desolate because he was going to punish it. Judgment was coming on the holy city Uh, The house of God was going to be destroyed. So notice too, he says to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins. So now I think this is real obvious what this is talking about here. But in Daniel 8, 12, it says, And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. And I heard one saint speaking, another saint said unto that certain saint, which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So here's what you've got to understand. We often just focus on the single event of the abomination of desolation. But the desolations of Jerusalem that we talked about yesterday, this is a long period of time. This is many events. This is, again, judgment on the city, judgment on the house of God. And the desolations of Jerusalem are going to continue even beyond the coming of the Messiah. And I'm going to show you that here in a little bit. What often what people do, they try to um, make the 490 years go all the way to 70 AD. No, you don't have to do that. The 490 years, I'm going to show you, it only goes up to the confirming of the covenant for seven years. And I'll explain that in a little bit. But then even after that, the desolations are going to continue to the end of the war and to the end of the or destruction of the sanctuary. And it does not give a time on that. He does not give a time for how long that will be. Now, We can look back at history, and we know how long it was, but he does not give a time there. So we don't need to force these 490 years or stretch it out to go to 70 AD. Not necessary at all. But notice that during this time that he's discussing here, that uh, he's going to finish the transgression and uh, make an end of sins. And without a doubt, the making of the end of sins was done by Christ on the cross. Uh, we, we know that. We'll look at some scriptures here in a second. And notice what he says next. And to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in 
everlasting righteousness. Hebrews 2.17 says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. This was written to Jews. And Jesus made reconciliation for iniquity. Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. What Jesus did on the cross not only reconciled Israel, that the covenants were made for, that Christ came for, but it, it made a way to reconcile all mankind, even if we're not Jews. You know why? Because he put an end to the law. So those things that separated us as Gentiles in the law, Jesus blotted out those handwriting of ordinances that were against us, and he nailed them to his cross. He triumphed over those things. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he is our prince who hath made both one, talking about Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were far off and to them that were nigh. So the, that reconciliation that was uh, promised to Israel in Daniel chapter 9, Jesus brought it and Paul showed how it also went to the Gentiles as well. In Colossians 1.21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Philippians 3.9 And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So the righteousness that we have doesn't come from the law. Jesus abolished those things. It comes through faith in Christ, and the righteousness that Jesus brings is an everlasting righteousness. Psalm 119, 142 says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. And so the righteousness that Jesus brought to the world through his death on the cross is an everlasting righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. People will read that part about him bringing in everlasting righteousness and they'll act like it hasn't happened yet because they need Daniel's 70th week to be in the future. But it, And it doesn't matter how many verses you show them that show Jesus already did it. They still want to make it into the future. And, you know, we're, we're kind of bordering on heresy uh, when we do that kind of thing. But all that Christ did that we claim for ourselves was for Israel, but it definitely applied to us. And that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 9 when he said, Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? All of those things were made for, designed for Israel, whose are the fathers and of whom is concerning the flesh. Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. 
not as though the word of God had taken none effect. And he's saying that because he's been, he's already made the claim, Israel is not saved. So did the word of God not take effect if Jesus came and he already did all these things? The things that were promised to Israel in Daniel 9, Jesus came and did all those things. Yet Israel was not saved. So is the word of God taken none effect? For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. So he's clarifying here that it, you know, you being born in Israel, you doing some thing of the law, getting circumcised, that doesn't make you Israel. Those who are of faith, they are of Israel. They are the children of the promise. In Galatians, Paul said, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So everything that was promised to Israel, Jesus already came and did it. And to claim God still has, some, has to do something for Israel is to deny the finished work of Christ on the cross. 2 Corinthians 6.1 we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? We say that all the time uh, during an invitation when we're trying to get people saved. Well, here's this is very relevant because he's quoting Isaiah 49. And in verse 7, it says, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, he shall choose thee. Now this, in many Bibles, including mine, there's a note added that is not inspired. And you know what it says? the restoration of Israel, like it's some, you know, and, and people think this is for the future. They'll read that. This is for the future. But look what it says. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit desolate heritages. And people read that. It's like God's not done with Israel. But Paul said, that time has come. He said, now is that day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And he applied it to the Corinthians too. I love that. Why? Because we can all partake in the promises and the covenants to Israel if we will be like Isaac and if we will be like Abraham and be of faith. But if Israel will not be of those things, they're cut off, they're rejected, they're done. What people are claiming is coming for Israel is already here. People who have an Israel-based prophecy need Daniel's 70th week to be in the future because they are all about Israel. But if you have a Jesus-based prophecy, you understand Jesus Christ already fulfilled these things for Israel and they just need to be saved now. Now is the day of salvation. There is not some future thing coming for them. It's already done. So this is very important. And understand, all those things that we just read, Jesus, he did, all, he did all of those things. 
So the next thing that it mentions says, and to seal up the vision and prophecy. Okay, now, what does this mean exactly? Well, if you look up that word, uh, it means to make an end or mark or seal up. And some would say, uh, maybe in the preterist world, that this means to finish all prophecy or just to finish up all these things. But let's look at another place in the Bible where it says the same thing, and I think it will help us understand what's being said. In Revelation 10.4, after it talks about the seven thunders, it says, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. So, under what God, what John saw, God wanted it sealed up. He did not want us to know about it, or he did not want us to understand it. So the Bible mentions the seven thunders, but it's sealed up. Those things are not explained. They're not understood. We're not going to know what they are until it happens. Now, don't ask me why God did that. Obviously, it's something he did not want us to know just yet. Sometimes there, you know, God, uh, you know, he knows what we need and what we don't need. And so um, I'm not even going to question God on that. I mean, we can wonder, we can speculate, but if God didn't want us to know, you're not even going to guess it. Okay? Just keep that in mind. But um, what just happened there, I think is very similar. It's also different than what God said to John at the end of Revelation in 22.10, he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So I think when he's telling him to seal up the vision and, and prophecy, I don't. I believe that this, what he is explaining here, when it comes to the timeline, when it comes to a lot of the specifics, he didn't want Israel to fully understand this. He didn't want them to fully understand it because they needed to be a faith. They needed to trust him. And so uh, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the whys of that, but it is very clear that we can go back and look at this prophecy and figure out exactly when the Messiah was going to come. We can go back and look at this and we know exactly what it's talking about. But it's clear they didn't understand it. Even the apostles didn't understand it. And I'll go as far as to say that the apostles didn't even fully understand it even after the resurrection of Christ. And I'll, sh- and I'll show you why here in a little bit. Uh, but I, I, think we, I, I don't think they understood it because it was sealed up during that time. Now, I don't believe it is sealed up any longer because, again, we have that those 70 weeks that were part of that were to seal up that prophecy. Well, that time is up. That time has come. It is no longer sealed up, so we can now understand it. So uh, verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem and to Messiah the Prince should be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street should be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now, so know therefore and understand this is connected to the fact that 490 years have been determined or decreed against Jerusalem. And while there's a lot of uh while there were some wonderful things that were going to be fulfilled within the 490 years, 
those wonderful things don't come until some very difficult times are going to come. And so he's about to explain some specific markers to watch for. Because notice the troublous times that he talks about. Tribulation is another word that you could use to talk about troublous times. But he's talking about 490 years. Not just a seven-year period. Okay, All 490 years that he's talking about are tribulation for Jerusalem. Everybody wants to talk, use this to talk about a seven-year tribulation coming for the whole world. This is about 490 years of tribulation for Israel. And so he's telling them that after 69 weeks, okay, after the three score and two weeks, which is after the seven weeks, which adds up to 69 weeks or 483 years. Now watch, this is where you can get confused a little bit. If you are focusing your attention on the wrong part, which is what people often do. They, you know, they get real focused on one aspect of this prophecy and they kind of make everything about that where we need to make sure we keep our focus where Daniel had his focus and we don't miss the message. So after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. At some point after the 69 weeks, the Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and under the end of the war, desolations are determined. So here's what we're seeing right here in this passage. After the 69 weeks, we're going to have a couple bad things, you could say, uh, which one of them's not really a bad thing, but the cutting off the Messiah. Okay, but it's not for himself. He's dying for the sins of the people. He's ma- that's him making reconciliation for iniquity. That's him bringing in everlasting righteousness. And something else is going to happen at some point after the 69 weeks is uh, the people of the prince are going to come, that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary because this entire chapter has been about this destruction that's going to come upon Jerusalem. And so he's telling him at some point after the 69 weeks, the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. The end thereof shall be with a flood which is a reference to armies. And so under the end of the war, desolations are determined or decreed. So um, after the 69 weeks, a couple major things are going to happen. Messiah is going to be cut off and the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. And under the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, I don't think we need to fit this uh, destruction of the sanctuary within the 70th week. He's just basically telling him here, when it comes to this destruction that's coming on Jerusalem, I believe he's showing it's going to go beyond the 490 years. It's going to, it's going to go beyond that. Okay, But the part about the Messiah, that's going to take place in the 70th week. That's the good news. That's the good part, what the Messiah is going to do in the seven in this in the 70th week it's all going to be done in just that final week okay and so um again what everybody needs to get a hold of is the 490 years are just taking us to the messiah and his confirming of the covenant that jeremiah prophesied about and that daniel mentioned in the beginning of chapter 9 the judgment on jerusalem is going to go beyond the 490 years. 
it's going to go all the way till the destruction of the sanctuary. So the 490 years, that, we, that only needs to go to the end of the Messiah's confirming of the new covenant. So verse 27, And he, the Messiah, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And I believe he gave a really good sign that he caused it to cease when he rent the veil. But the Jews rejected. They did not listen. And it says, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So again, it is Christ that caused it to be desolate. This judgment, the entire chapter, God was bringing it. Daniel credited God for bringing all this judgment, all this destruction, all this desolation upon Jerusalem. Daniel didn't want this to come because he loved his city. But this was what God determined because the people were wicked. This was something that needed to be done. This was judgment, and it was determined. And so the Messiah, though, was going to come in that 70th week and confirm the covenant with many. In the midst of that week, for three and a half years, Jesus preached the gospel. He confirmed that covenant. And then he was killed in the midst of that week. And so it says, for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. What's that consummation? That end of the war after the destruction of the sanctuary. So again, what, what we're seeing it say right here, everybody wants to make everything happen within the 490 weeks or the uh, 490 years. We don't have to do that. No, the 490 years ends with the seven years of the Messiah confirming the covenant with many. But the desolations are going to continue until the sanctuary is destroyed and God did not give a time limit on that. He did not tell them how much time they had. So when we're reading the book of Acts and the apostles, who I believe understood that judgment was coming, they did not know when that judgment was coming. They did not know when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, but they they did everything they could to warn them. They knew it was coming. They just didn't know when it was going to come because the prophecy did not tell them that, but it did tell them for one week, the Messiah is going to confirm the covenant and the desolations are going to continue to the end. The sanctuary is going to be destroyed. Nothing is going to change that. And that's why Jesus said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Jesus said at the Olivet Discourse, there wasn't going to be one stone left upon another. All these things happened because they did not know the time of their visitation. And so that confirming of the covenant with many, okay, we see that that already happened. This isn't an Antichrist covenant. There's absolutely no way to pull an Antichrist covenant out of Daniel chapter 9. But Mark 14, 24 says, and he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Okay, what is, what's that? The new covenant is in Christ's blood. And, and he did, and he shed it. He shed that blood in the midst of the week. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So, I mean, right there, folks, Jesus did it. Jesus confirmed the covenant 
with many. He did it for three and a half years while he was on this earth. So that's only three and a half years. But what did he do after he died? What did he tell the disciples? He's like, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you another comforter. And in that passage, he said, he will come unto you, talking about that comforter. But then also in that same passage, he said, I will come to you. And understand that confirming of the covenant, it continued for three and a half years, mainly in Jerusalem. When we are reading in in the book of Acts, we see Jesus do, or we see the Holy Spirit do a great work in Jerusalem. But what do we have today from the Zionists? What do we have from the people who uh, have an Israel-based prophecy? They are acting like God still has to do something for Israel. Ruckmanites are teaching that the new covenant hasn't even come yet. There are many people who teach that the new covenant hasn't even come. They teach there's a difference between the New Testament and the new covenant, which is absolutely ridiculous and, and heresy as far as I'm concerned. There, there, everybody's always going to prophecies in the Old Testament about this, you know, and making it like there's going to be this great revival in the future for Israel, but the great revival already happened. 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. 5,000 were saved later. There were multitudes that were saved after that. During that, during that time, from the resurrection of Christ till the stoning of Stephen, there were thousands and thousands that were saved. Now, national Israel, Israel as a whole, they did not turn to Christ. They did not repent. But it doesn't change the fact that there was a pretty good remnant that did get saved. There were thousands that did get saved, that that was, in fact, a great revival. But it is also clear in the scriptures, and it's clear in the, from the Apostle Paul's writings in Romans 9, 10, and 11, that national Israel was something that was going to be destroyed. Why? Those who are only physical, in reality, they're not of Isaac, they're of Ishmael, according to Galatians chapter 4. And that's hard for people. A lot of people, they got, they really, they've got a lot of um, issues with the Muslims. And I get it. You know, the Muslims, uh, Islam's a false religion, for sure. But God put those who are only of the flesh with Hagar. God associated them with Ishmael in Galatians chapter 4. I don't care where they descend from biologically, you know, uh, what makes you Ishmael or Isaac. doesn't matter. If you are from Abraham, physically only, God puts you with Ishmael. And so understand that's who, uh, that's what Israel is today. Unbelieving Israel is of Ishmael and God raised them up for destruction. They can, individuals can still be saved, but they've got to accept that new covenant. They have to accept Jesus Christ. And now is the day of salvation. And unfortunately, because of Zionism, because of Schofieldism, because of Larkin and all these things, people want to make everything in Daniel chapter nine and and the 70th week all about the future to the point where they literally created a gap, a 2000 year gap that. You can't find that in the text. You can't find it. What they do, well, Israel didn't do what they're supposed to do, so God put things on hold for seven years and he's waiting on, seven, or, you know, 2,000 years he's waiting on them. No. There, there's nothing in the scriptures that shows that. What do we see? In fact, what do, you, what do we see at the stoning of Stephen? 
I mean, we see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and I've got some opinions on what was going on there. I'm not going to get into those today, but understand, I believe that marked the end of God, you know, confirming that covenant specifically with Israel. And what is the ver- what what are we in- who are we introduced to at the end of the stoning of Stephen, Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle to the Gentiles? What do we see in Acts chapter eight? We see all of a sudden now Samaritans getting saved, getting added to the church. Uh, we see the Ethiopian eunuch, and then in Acts chapter ten we see Cornelius, a Gentile. What do we see? We see that shift in focus. And without a doubt, the apostles, including Paul, they continued. They continued trying to get national Israel saved. They wanted Israel saved nationally. Paul could, in chapter Romans nine, could wish it himself were accursed. But what was going on? While those guys loved their people, and while they wanted them to get saved, while they wanted the nation to repent, the vision was still sealed up. The vision was still sealed, and and they didn't realize no. This the desolations are going to continue until the destruction of the sanctuary. They they didn't understand that, but the vision is no longer sealed. We have the book of Revelation. That time has come and gone. We know exactly what it meant. So it is very important. It it really clears a lot of things up when you understand the seventieth week has already taken place. And I know that freaks some of you out because. Uh, you know, well, nobody wants to admit they got ever got anything wrong, but it 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 you know does change. Uh, it, it can change some things when it comes to what you think is still to come in the future. And so we'll probably talk about that tomorrow. But either way, send in your questions, leave them in the comments, or email them to me. And Friday, Lord willing, we will do a live show at noon Central Time, where we will answer any objections and um, and hopefully will be a help, and uh, we'll clear these things up for you. So anyway, I hope this uh, was helpful to you. Make sure you join us tomorrow, and we will see you all then.